Investing in crypto is probably not something you think about every day. But when you do, start with Grayscale, the world's largest crypto asset manager with 10 years of experience navigating the ups and downs of this asset class. Grayscale offers regulated crypto investment products found directly in your existing brokerage account. Just search for Grayscale. Crypto investing begins with Grayscale. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Based on AUM as of December 31st, 2023. Visit grayscale.com for more information and important disclosures. Hi, everyone. I'm Jack Howe, but never mind that. And this is the Baron Streetwise podcast. I want to tell you about a very special guest we have on this week's show. Uh, listening in is our audio producer, Jackson Cantrell. It's not Jackson. We're delighted to have him. He's not the special guest. Hi, Jackson. Hey, Jack. And smiling right in front of me, the bespectacled face, that means wearing glasses, of Andrew Barry, Baron's own Andrew Barry. Hi, Andrew. Great to be here with you, Jack. Nice to have you. I love this time of year when you come out with the top stock picks, top 10 stocks for the year ahead for Barron's. Very exciting always to talk about stock picks from somebody who... Uh, knows a thing or two about finding them, who has had some success in, in, in that field. I'm not, I'm not the most successful uh, stock picker around. I don't think it's any secret, but you do a great job with this. Um, uh, let's talk about, I want to go into your 10 picks for the year ahead. Let's just talk about the stock market in general, first off. How are we looking for next year? Is there more upside here? Is there more meat on this bone for investors? Did we get, is, is the getting still good? I think so. I think the uh, you know the stock market today, as we speak, is the S and P five hundred is up about twenty five percent this year, within about a half a percentage point of the record set in early twenty twenty two. So obviously we've had a good run this year, but many sectors have been left behind: consumer staples, some of the financials, um, utilities, telecom, and so um, there's. I mean, there's there's still there's still a lot of places to look. I think for value right now, it's obviously been a market led uh, by the magnificent seven stocks, the big seven tech stocks, and others, which have driven this market. So it actually could be a pretty good year. I mean, we had another good inflation reading today, and uh, it's looking like the Fed's going to be cutting rates next year, and that could be a good backdrop with five trillion or so money market funds potentially uh, looking for a new home in stocks. I'm looking at your record from last year. You picked ten stocks last year. The average return was 31% uh, since you picked them, and that compares with 24.5%. By, hold on, let me get out the calculator. You clobbered the market by 6.5 points. I mean, that's uh, – now, you you don't even take 2 and 20% on that. You don't take a percentage of readers' assets for that. Just for the price of their barons, they get that kind yeah, of- Yeah, for $5 dollars a week. We haven't changed the cover price in many, many years. So it's actually a pretty, I think a pretty good bargain right now. And if I took two and 20, the, those gains would essentially, relative gains would melt away. I'd have no alpha. So you know that shows yeah. you that two and 20 is a big hurdle in terms of, in terms of beating the market. So, um, but- uh, you, got, you got a pitch in for the magazine and bonus points for using the word alpha. So we're off to a great start. <laughs> what, what worked, what did you have to do Last year, what was the key to to uh, getting some? Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, three year. three key stocks worked the last year. I mean, I I was actually bullish, unlike many people, the start of uh, twenty twenty three on the market and on the big tech stocks. I thought Apple, 
Amazon and uh, Alphabet were, were actually quite attractive at those levels. We put, uh, we put Amazon and Alphabet, the parent of Google, on the list. They're up 50-ish percent plus. The biggest winner, though, was Home Builder Toll Brothers, which more than doubled. It's the biggest luxury home builder. So uh, my thought then was that Toll was trading below book value and that people were really very bearish on housing and that uh, the stocks stood to do well. It's done, it did even better than I thought. Okay, look, this is uh, this is great, but it's old news. People exactly. want to hear let, about. Let, let, let's spin this forward, Jack. People don't care about <laughs> last year anymore. People want to hear about what's next. Yeah. Let's get right to the top ten stocks for 2024. And the first is shocking controversy right out of the gate because you've picked. I guess these are in alphabetical order. Alibaba Group. I think Alibaba Group. I think okay, that's a, that's a great tech company you've got there. It's just in a in a place that seems a little risky to invest in in, in China. Uh, tell me about what you like about Alibaba. Well, people say it's a great company in the wrong place, which is China. But, I mean, Alibaba stock's now around 74 right now. It hasn't moved basically since its IPO almost 10 years ago. Earnings are up fivefold. Revenues are up tenfold. The stock is arguably one of the cheapest big stocks in the world. Forward PE is around eight or nine, a third of the market cap in cash. Then you have a lot of other stakes as well. Throw them in. It's even, it's even cheaper. I just think that uh, this stock is, is too cheap right now, given the China risk and all the other negatives that are well known about, about the whole situation with the U, U.S.-Chinese relations. So to me, it, it, but it, how do you I, handicap that kind of thing where, where a government can just step in and sort of make arbitrary decisions that could be good or bad for this company could be disastrous if they if they wanted um how do you think about that sort of risk it, it, it's hard to handicap you've had some of that i just don't think china wants to destroy some of its largest companies and that while there there've been some uh back and forth between you know, china and particularly with with jack ma the uh, the founder of the company who's essentially not really much involved anymore my view is that, uh, you know, e-commerce is important in China. This is a major player in, e- in e-commerce and a lot of other things. And that uh, it's in the interest of China to kind of let this company, uh, you know, flourish and, uh, and and do well and provide jobs and, and, and profits for uh, its own shareholders. And as you say, cheap to my eye here, uh, based on what you've put for the, you know, relative to next year's earnings, it's about a third of the price or less of the big tech companies here in the U.S. So it's certainly I mean, does it's look got, cheap. It's got about 15% of the market cap of Amazon.com, which is, uh, you know, its closest comp. It's a small dividend. They're paying about 1%. They could pay a bigger dividend. They could buy back more stock. There are a lot of potential catalysts. I mean, the, the risk of China, but if things improve in terms of U.S.-China relations, this stock could do very well. It's almost an option on China, and I think it's a relatively cheap option given the valuation. And as you said earlier, you had Alphabet and Amazon on last year's list. One of them remains on this year's list, and it is Alphabet. Why have you picked Alphabet? Well, Alphabet, I think, has got the best combination among the big seven of growth and valuation. Alphabet's actually been doing quite well the last week or so since our list came out. It's up about 4 or 5%, but even around 140 right now. It's trading for about 20-ish times forward earnings. I mean, earnings could grow 15-ish percent next year. It's got a great franchise, unassailable. There's some concern about the whole AI situation in terms of just how that's going to affect their search business. It looks manageable. And uh, this company's got a great balance sheet. And, it, and it's basically um, the leader in search. There's some to-do about antitrust. There's some to-do about the Apple relationship. I think both those things are manageable right now. 
Where's the growth going to come from? Just bigger and better things for the search business, monetizing some other businesses that it doesn't yet uh, make so much money on? What do you think is going to... Well, I, mean, I, think, I think you have uh, growth from their cloud business. They're basically a number three. They're, I mean, uh, they're not nearly as big as uh, Amazon and Microsoft, which are the dominant players, or they're building up that business. You have YouTube. You've got, uh, you know, got their Android business. I mean, they're paying about $15, $20 billion. I mean, rumored to be paying for, for Apple to have their search uh, engine be the default on iPhones. You know, there's some con- concern that that goes away. If it goes away, they're going to save 15 or $20 billion. So that could be, actually be a positive. If they broke this thing up, it actually might be a positive because if some of the parts could be worth more than the whole. You've got Barrick Gold on the list. So you must you have to like gold in order to like Barrick Gold. Would you prefer to have... Think investors are better off with the metal or better off with the miner? Well, they have been much better with the metal in the last five or ten years than the miners. I mean, the miners like have been flattish while the while gold prices are up 50, 60 percent. Gold's above two thousand dollars an ounce right now. The miners have not been a good place to be. They've had higher costs. They've had a whole bunch of issues that have kind of stood in the way. Valuations have come down. I mean, Barrick, I think, could be one of the best of the bunch in the, in the gold in the gold sector, trading for about 15 or 16 times forward earnings. It's well run. And they've got a swashbuckling CEO, Mark Bristow, who's a big game hunter. He's from South Africa. And they have mines in uh, – they have their biggest mines in Nevada, which they share with Newmont. They've got one in the Dominican Republic. They're the biggest gold miner in Africa. So it, it's an interesting play on gold. I think gold could do well this year as interest rates come down. And I think uh, the, the Fed really starts to pivot toward lower rates. And that tends to be a good environment for gold. You could see gold moving much higher. And this stock could play some catch-up versus uh, where it's been. When you say swashbuckling CEO – I have always wanted to be described as swashbuck, swashbuckling. It's It hasn't happened yet. I can hardly say it. What do you have to do as a CEO to be described that way? Well, you have to be a big, yeah, he's kind of a swashbuckler in the old Errol Flynn mode, I mean, I think. And uh, he, I mean, you can, he's- Puffy he's a, sleeves, carries around a cutlass. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, he's like, uh, he he likes to go, he's a big game hunter. You can see him with a lot of like trophy, uh, trophies, which uh, some of his kills, you can debate whether that's good or bad. But he actually- one thing he likes to do is he's a hands-on guy. He visits every every one of their major mines three times a year. He'll sleep in the mines. I mean, he I mean he's not a he's not a, a prissy fancy guy. And so, uh, and I think uh, that's unusual for uh, a major uh, company right now. The com- the, the valuation of this company is uh, is uh, you know, it's pretty high right now. It's probably it's in the uh, it's in the thirty billion dollar range. It's one of the two largest gold miners in the world. It's them and Newmont. And I think. Uh, I mean, you can kind of do do six of one, half dozen of the other, but I think but, but both of them could do well this year. Okay, let's do one more before we take a break. I know what people are thinking. By my math, that's only four stocks. We'll have done four stocks, and that means we'll have six to go. Why aren't we taking a break after five? You know what? Maybe I am a bit of a swashbuckler because uh, that's how I'm going to roll. And when we come back with six left, we're going to buzz right through them. But let's get to... Berkshire Hathaway. Now, Andrew, you have followed Berkshire for a long time. You are uh, the resident uh, buffetologist at at Barron's. We uh, were were sad to hear about the death of Charlie Munger recently. Talk to me about uh, a little bit about Charlie's passing and, and talk to me about what you like about Berkshire stock here. Well, I mean, I mean Charlie died recently at age 99. He was an influential uh, person at Berkshire. He was kind of the right-hand man. He was almost a little bit of the Ed Ed McMahon to the Johnny Carson, who was, of course, uh, Warren Buffett. 
And um, no, his role, though, I think in terms of management day to day was actually pretty modest, and especially in the last five or 10 years. It's Warren's show. It's Buffett's show. He's 93 right now. I mean, the problem, obviously, for Berkshire is that, you know, he has a limited tenure as CEO, but I think he could be doing this for three or four more years. He's sharp and engaged and I think loves the job. He said he's tap dances to work every day if he could. He can't tap dance anymore because I think he's a little bit, I mean, uh, in terms of mobility, but he gets around. I'm not holding that against him. No, you don't hold that against one. The stock is, I mean, it's actually been a lagger this year. It's up around 15% this year, about 10 percentage points behind the S&P 500. It's very well run. It's got a lot of cash, $150 billion plus in cash. It's got about 40 billions of earnings power. It's about 20 times forward earnings. The valuation, I think, is pretty reasonable at around 1.4 times book value and about, uh, as I said, about 20 times forward earnings with some quote-unquote optionality. If Buffett can find this elephant-sized acquisition, as he's called it, that he's long been searching for for the last you know, 10, 15 years. I mean, he, he could do a $50 billion, $50 or $100 billion deal. One possibility is Occidental Petroleum, which they already own about almost 30% of. He he said he doesn't want to buy it, but I think, you know, it's possible his, his, uh, he could change his mind there. The ticker symbols on the stocks we've mentioned, Alibaba is BABA, B-A-B-A. Uh, Alphabet is uh, G-O-O-G-L, Barrick Gold. The ticker there is just gold. And Berkshire Hathaway, of course, is B-R-K dot, dot B if you want the lower cost shares. If you're a big spender, it's dot A for the, uh, for the price he shares. Um, and, and those are the first four of the top 10 stock picks for the year ahead. We'll be back with the remaining six. We're listening to Andrew Barry on the Barron Streetwise podcast back right after this break. Investing in crypto is probably not something you think about every day. But when you do, start with Grayscale, the world's largest crypto asset manager with 10 years of experience navigating the ups and downs of this asset class. Grayscale offers regulated crypto investment products found directly in your existing brokerage account. Just search for Grayscale. Crypto investing begins with Grayscale. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Based on AUM as of December 31st, 2023. Visit grayscale.com for more information and important disclosures. Investing in crypto is probably not something you think about every day. But when you do, start with Grayscale, the world's largest crypto asset manager with 10 years of experience navigating the ups and downs of this asset class. Grayscale offers regulated crypto investment products found directly in your existing brokerage account. Just search for Grayscale. Crypto investing begins with Grayscale. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Based on AUM as of December 31st, 2023. Visit grayscale.com for more information and important disclosures. Welcome back, Andrew. Uh, just after we left for the break, uh, Jackson was telling me that I, I sound like a radio guy. He said, I keep mentioning the name of the podcast and, and the guest. He says, you know, you, you don't really have to do that on a podcast. That's like what a, what a radio person would do. But OK, you know, I'll try I'll try to be more podcasty. What do you think? Wait, now you're a radio. You, you've been doing some radio. Yeah, I was just on John Katsimatis' show here in New York, uh, it's 77, the old WABC, which is like used he, to be the biggest AM station in the country. He ran for mayor. Do I remember that right? Yeah, he ran for mayor. He's big in the Republican Party in New York, which doesn't mean a lot because the Republicans don't, don't really have any power in this city. But, uh, I mean, he's a, he's a player with the Republicans. He's a billionaire. He owns a bunch of grocery stores here in New York and a bunch of other stuff. Did you like doing that show? Yeah, but he's a pretty good radio personality. He's got a very highly rated show. Yeah. How long were you on that show for? We're about 10 minutes talking about my favorite topic, which is Berkshire Hathaway. Was, this, was that better than this? Is that what you're saying? No, I mean, I think, I think you're, you're better. You uh, actually know Look, a bit more I can't about promise it. to be. I can't promise to be as good 
as Katsuma uh, made us. But I can promise to keep you here longer. That's my that's my <laughs> vow to you. It's I think it's already been longer. Um, next up is Biontech. Biontech. The ticker there is B N T X. And what do you like about Biontech? You know, I'm a sucker for cash-rich companies. I like cash-rich companies. And this is one of the most cash-rich companies that you can find right now. It's the partner for Pfizer with the COVID vaccine. It's a German company. It's a biotechnology company. The problem for the company is that COVID vaccine sales are basically plunging. And so is the stock. Stock's around 100 right now, but they have about... $80 a share in net cash and investments as a company. So you're paying a very little, a small price for the, essentially the COVID franchise and for the uh, pipeline, which is mostly uh, oncology oriented. But the cash came from the, the sort of COVID windfall, right. the sales of all those COVID exactly. drugs. And so now that COVID business must have fallen off quite a bit, right? So is the question of what they're going to do next with that cash? Yeah, I mean, that's the issue. I mean, the company, again, the stock's about a $25 billion market cap. There's about $17 or $18 billion worth of cash. What do they do with it? I think that their vaccine sales should be significant enough to keep them essentially around break even. The question is, how does their pipeline advance? What do they do with the cash? Do they pay out the shareholders? Do they pay much of a dividend? Or do they do an acquisition? If they made a big acquisition, that probably would be a negative because they'd be blowing some of the cash on an uncertain prospect for an acquisition. And that's that's one of the risks there with BioNTech right now. The stock was about three or 400 at the peak when people were crazy for uh, COVID plays, and now it's back around 100. So to me, it's an interesting option on their pipeline. And, and you know, there's some concern now with this latest strain of COVID. So maybe people start getting the vaccine more than they have been before. Everybody has turned their attention to the obesity drugs. No one is uh, paying attention to the uh, regular old vaccine makers, but uh, I guess that has left shares cheap. Chevron. big oil. You got to have some big oil exposure and Chevron is your pick. Why Chevron? You know, Chevron has been the uh, laggard in the group in uh, 2023. It's down about 15%. It's been the worst performer among the super majors, which include Exxon, Shell, and BP. But it's looking reasonably attractive right now. The stock's around 150 right now. That's about 10 times forward earnings, about a 4% dividend yield. It's interesting. This company was basically viewed as being the best managed uh, major oil company just about a year or two ago. Mike Worth was gracing covers as being the top energy executive of the world. Some of the sheen has come I off. I think we the, had oh, – he was on the podcast, right, Jackson? Oh, yeah. Okay. Just, that was just a self-serving yeah, I mean, reference. Yeah, I mean, Go yeah, ahead, You might have had him on because he was viewed as being the best energy executive in the world. Some of the sheens come off the uh, Chevron story. They've had some issues with production shortfalls in uh, Kazakhstan and also in the Permian where, where they're where – they're, a major um, driller for oil and a producer. And their, their deal for Hess, which is about $55, $60 billion, is viewed as kind of a uh, investment kind of lukewarm on that. So, um, you know, it's interesting. Um, but, you know, the heat's on internally at Chevron. There was apparently a memo sent recently by the CFO to the uh, staff saying, we got to up our game in 2024. We, we, we did not perform as well as we should have in 2023. So I like to see when companies actually acknowledge they basically have not been doing as well as they can be doing and kind of want to turn up the heat, I mean, on, uh, internally and try to do better. What happens with the price of oil from here? You have... Shale drillers in the U.S. that have shown tremendous uh, discipline and restraint on production that has kept the price of oil and profits in the industry, you know, somewhat robust. 
Uh, is that going to continue going forward? Well, actually, I mean, you, you, you've seen increased U.S. production. I think some of the discipline seems to have faded a little bit. But um, you, you've also, um, you know, have, have a situation in the Middle East where you've got attacks in the Red Sea from some Iranian-backed rebels. So oil's around $75 a barrel now. I think it could go higher in the next year. I think the age of oil is going to last longer. Oil demands about 100 million barrels a day right now. Supply is about the same amount. I think oil demand is going to remain at that level, even move higher for the next 10 years. And you've got to replace a lot of that production. And it's, it, there's not been a huge amount of capital investment in this industry. So to my mind, the oil price could buy us higher. And Chevron's got a pretty good um, uh, reserve base right now. And uh, despite some of the uh, uh, the story kind of like not, not not playing out as well as people hope. I think Mike Worth is still quite a good CEO. And uh, it, it, I think it's one of the better stories in the big oil patch right now. Hertz Global Holdings. What wh- what are we talking about here? Wasn't this a meme stock? This was like it was a meme stock, but then it worked out. It was a meme stock. It was in bankruptcy. It was actually a, a successful story in bankruptcy, which almost never happens. Generally, investors get wiped out, equity investors in a bankruptcy. But Hertz was basically killing it during the during COVID because there was a shortage of cars and basically people were, were post COVID they were traveling, profits soared and this company was able to emerge from bankruptcy. But the stock is essentially almost round trip. The stock was around ten bucks coming out of bankruptcy. Now it's back around and now it's back to ten dollars after hitting I mean more than twenty. The story at Hertz is it's essentially a, it's an oligopoly in the rental car business in, in the United States. It's Avis Enterprise and Hertz. Uh, they, they made a big push into EVs about a year or two ago. They made a, they they wanted to have about a quarter of their fleet be electric. They had a big purchase from Tesla of Tesla cars. That's turned out to be a disaster. Actually, what's happened is that the repair cost of these of, of EVs has been high. The residual value of the cars when they sell them has been weaker than they expected because um, Elon keeps cutting the price of the cars. So basically, this much ballyhooed um, EV push, which got which got a lot of publicity, which goosed the stock, is turning into a bust. But I think they can get through that. And uh, the, the industry should remain rational. You have three major players with about 90% of the market. It's trading pretty cheaply for about seven or eight times forward earnings right now. And the market cap is only a couple billion dollars right now. There's an investor group that owns about 60% of it right now. They could they can make an offer to buy the whole company. So uh, we'll see what happens during 2024. Wall Street's lukewarm on this story. I think it could turn out better. Madison Square Garden Sports. Uh, what do you like about that stock? I, I I can never keep my head around the ownership and the, the structures and the way all these different companies play together. It's like a big Jenga puzzle of uh, traded companies. Where where does this fit in, and what do you like about it? Well, you know, it's 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 a complicated empire. This is one of the Dolan companies. is controlled by the Dolan family. Jim Dolan, James Dolan, is the. Uh, is effectively the head of Madison Square Garden. There, there are three companies, Madison Square Garden Sports, which owns the New York Knicks and Rangers. They have Madison Square Garden Entertainment, which owns Madison Square Garden, the, the arena in Manhattan. And then another company called Sphere, which um, owns the uh, cable network. So basically you have essentially the empires in three pieces right now. Madison Square Garden Sports is essentially a pure play on the New York Knicks and Rangers, which are the two, two of the most valuable franchises in their leagues, which are the NBA and the NHL. Right now, the story essentially is this. The market cap of MSG Sports is around $4 billion right now. Those teams were recently appraised for about $10 billion in total by Sportico, which does uh, some of the, does rankings and valuations of the teams. So you're buying it for about 50 cents in the dollar in terms of what the value of the teams are. The issue is this. The Dolans, Jim Dolan is not interested in selling this company. He's not been interested in selling part of the teams. You've kind of got an asset. You're kind of waiting for something to happen here. 
And that something is the share price going higher. What's going to push it higher? You know, I mean, they could sell a piece of one of the teams. There's, there's a lot of there's one of the hottest areas right now for investment, particularly for wealthy individuals. They're pitching these funds where they buy pieces of sports teams and they put it into like effectively like a mutual fund, but it's private. And basically, people are buying. People people are paying record prices for minor league franchises and things like that. Here, you can buy two of the best. Uh, franchises in professional sports. There's really only one or two public plays on professional sports right now. The other one is the Atlanta Braves. And this and this company is trading at a big discount from what the value of the teams is. Something good may happen. You can't force the Dolans to do anything. You could have an activist service. And the, the Dolans may finally wake up and try to, uh, I think, reward shareholders more. Two stocks left. The first is Pepsi. And I wrote recently about Utz, I, I pronounced it wrong on this podcast in the past. It's not Utz. I've learned it's Utz. And that is a salty snack brand. That's a salty snack insurgent. And Pepsi is the salty snack incumbent. So what do you like about Pepsi and its Frito-Lay franchise? Well, you know, Pepsi is, like some of the consumer stocks, has been somewhat out of favor. It's down this year. The stock's in the high 160s right now. I think it's one of the best consumer franchises in the world right now. The valuations come down. used to trade for a mid-20s multiple. Now it's around 20 times forward earnings, about a 3-ish percent dividend yield. As you point out, they're the dominant player in snacks with Frito-Lay, which is Lay's brand. They have Doritos. They've got Cheetos. I mean, the Uts and the others are trying to kind of nip at their heels. But essentially, in supermarkets right now, they dominate the uh, the snack aisle. You can't even find. First of all, I, I'm a cheese doodles man. I am not a Cheetos man. That's I like not a plug. Cheetos personally, I'm not, I'm, but that's but that's uh, but uh, okay. Well, look, personal preference. But I'm just saying, you got a hard time finding a cheese doodle these days. You go into a convenience store, it's like. Cheetos, as far as the eye can see, where are the cheese doodles? I see a cheese doodle. I'm like, oh, lucky day today. Looky here. So I'm basing this only on my personal cheese doodle observations. But uh, I take your point that the distribution is really incredible for Pepsi and Frito-Lay. I mean, they do, as you know, direct to to store distribution. They actually send their guys with trucks to the supermarkets, and they they literally – Put this, put the stuff in the aisles, and uh, so it, it's a very well-run company. Their beverage business is actually pretty good. It's, it's arguably better than Coke's. It's less dependent on sugary uh, uh, soft drinks and sodas. They've got um, they've got Gatorade, and they, they've got some other brands. So um, I think it's a it's a good package. It's well-run. They project high single-digit earnings growth, which I think is a, which I think stacks up pretty well. They try to have like mid-single-digit revenue growth. It's a pretty good model. And they, they've generally been able to um, hit those goals, and uh, they're pretty confident for 2024. One of the big risks that people have gotten worried about is the Ozempic effect, which refers to the diet drugs. There's some concern that People, if more people go on diet drugs, they'll be eating less snack foods. And I tend to doubt that. I think the number of people who are going to be on Ozempics will be a small percentage of the U.S. population. And I think betting against American snacking is not a good one. I think, uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, well, Americans, the, the are, well, Americans are overweight. They love to eat. They love snacks. And this is like the biggest beneficiary. You're not, you're looking at me when you're saying that, but you're not thinking about me, right? The, the, the analyst at, at Mizuho Securities feels the same way. It feels that the Ozempic risk is overblown in snacks and he points out he's done surveys and he says that the people who do diet and who are going to give up snacks they're overwhelmingly more likely to give up their sweet snacks than their salty snacks so he feel he just put out a report saying salty is the place to be he thinks salty is going to take share from sweet we'll see but i guess that would benefit pepsi yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, it might be bad for Twinkies, it may be good for uh, you know Doritos and Cheetos and uh, and Lay's. So, 
Last stock is U-Haul Holding. What do you like about U-Haul? Well, U-Haul is a. It, everybody knows the brand and the trucks. They dominate the uh, business. Where if you want to be a move yourself and rent a truck, there really is not much competition. They, it's one of the original network effect companies. It's impossible to compete with that. They have like twenty thousand plus locations. They got a two hundred thousand or so trucks. The trucks are actually uh, moving billboards for the company because you see them emblazoned with all the uh, effectively and effectively an advertising for the company. It's actually it's a well-run company. They have a self-storage business. It's trading for about 15 times earnings, family run. It's very low profile, run like a private company, not much Wall Street coverage. Uh, but if you look at the sum of the parts, look at it various ways in terms of valuing it. It it, 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 it it looks pretty attractive and it's kind of off the map. I think Berkshire Hathaway would love to buy this company if they possibly could. So I think if the controlling Schoen family, which owns about half of the company, ever wants to sell it, I think they can make a phone call to Omaha and, and get a, a pretty nice reception. If you're into dividends, the highest two yields on the list are Chevron at 4.2% and Pepsi at 3%. The tickers on the ones we just mentioned, Biontech, BNTX, Chevron, CVX, Hertz, HTZ, uh, Madison Square Garden, MSGS, Pepsi, PEP, and U-Haul, U-H-A-L.B. Andrew, you did all the work here. Are you exhausted right now? Get this man a towel. After all this talk, and I, I need the towel off and maybe take a break, but uh, it, it, it's great always talking to you. I love talking stocks, and uh, you know, I, I think about this all the time. So, Well, we sure appreciate it. Come back, uh, come back often. Thanks, Andrew. And thank you all for listening. This has been the Barons. Or we don't need to keep telling people what it is, right? They, that's just on radio. You got to tell people. Jackson Cantrell is our producer. Uh, listen wherever you listen. Apple, Spotify, you can subscribe or do whatever. And you can rate us if you listen on Apple. Thanks. And we'll see you next week. Next year. Oh, yeah. Next no, year. Well, it depends on when you listen. It yeah, could yeah. be this. I, I said, also, you know what? The whole we ruined the whole thing. We got to do year. it. it we got to do it all over again. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew Jackson just screwed it up. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah. we're doing a redo on this. Is that <laughs> right? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, just kidding. All right, guys. Andrew, perfect. Uh, gold, uh, gold as always. And uh, thanks. And uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Investing in crypto is probably not something you think about every day. But when you do, start with Grayscale, the world's largest crypto asset manager with 10 years of experience navigating the ups and downs of this asset class. Grayscale offers regulated crypto investment products found directly in your existing brokerage account. Just search for Grayscale. Crypto investing begins with Grayscale. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Based on AUM as of December 31st, 2023. Visit grayscale.com for more information and important disclosures.